Welcome to Color Him Dads with hosts Marvin and Jeanette Charles. Marvin, Jeanette, and their guests are here to provide tools to struggling fathers that will help them navigate systems and overcome challenges they face attempting to enter or re-enter the lives of their children and families. They're here to inform, encourage, and bring hope as they confront the epidemic of fatherlessness head on. Now, here are Marvin and Jeanette. So, welcome to Color Him Dads. This is our eighth episode of uh, our podcast. Uh, We're coming from Divine Alternatives for Dad Services, which is a nonprofit working with fathers for fathers located in Seattle, Washington. And um, our podcast, which I'm really excited about, this is our eighth episode episode and I had no idea when we first got started um, how this would work out but we appear to be um, gaining momentum on our followers and uh, and we've done a variety of uh, stories uh, around fatherhood some some have been guests some have been our our own staff and some of it has been uh, Jeanette and I, the founders of Dad's Divine Alternative for Dad Services. And then um, today, we have uh, one of our staff, uh, Gregory Adams, is a childhood friend of mine who um, uh, I was teaching a class at a halfway house, which is where men go when they're halfway between uh, um, home and prison. They'll do some of their outbound time in a halfway house. And so Jeanette and I were teaching fathered classes um, because I've, I've of the mindset that if you really want to create an opportunity for a person or a man not to go back to prison, you um, talk to him about his children and what um, are the benefits of him being in his children's life, although it could be really shaky, but there's nothing more shakier than being in prison and uh, doing time with your child. Um, And so we just felt like we had an opportunity to help men derail that. And so um, so we, 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 for 15 years, we started teaching fathered classes in the halfway house. And, uh, one day, uh, we're in the class, and um, I see a friend of mine, and he's coming through the door wondering what we were doing there. And so my friend Gregory Adams is um, here with me today, and he will be able to talk to you a little bit about um, um, what that was like. and. Since then, Gregory has um, joined our team at Dads probably probably about 10 years ago and has been working. I've watched this brother um, grow enormously. Um, he reminds me a lot of myself, meaning um, I didn't know how to turn a computer on. I have children that I had not been connected with. And I wanted to be able to see how he was able to, uh, to, to find um, his way. Uh, 
uh, as I found my way. And I, I'm here to tell you, man, he he, he is um, one of the proudest students, I, if I could say that safely without offending him, one of the proudest students I have because I've watched him grow. I've watched him uh, manifest. I've watched him um, speak on fatherhood even though he didn't have his father. I've watched him become a father. I've watched him grow as a father. I've even watched him grow as a grandfather. So um, so today you'll be hearing a lot from Gregory Adams who is uh, employed by Dad's, Divine Alternative Dad Services. And um, he's making beautiful strides. He'll even tell you about the role that he has here at Dad's and what he's been able to do with that. Um, and then I'll just check back in. We can after he tells you the story. We'll just begin to talk um, about the differences uh, that's taken place in his life with his even his own children. Um, but without any further ado, let me introduce you to a friend of mine's, uh, uh, an employee at Dad's, um, Gregory Adams. How about it, bro? Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Marvin. I really appreciate the, the I really appreciate the invite. I actually was just walking by the door, and Marvin thought this would be an ideal time. You know, we, a lot of spontaneous. Uh, is how we operate. I mean, who knows what's coming through the door? We stay ready. We like to be a ready to help men in their challenges, and uh, we just stay prepared. It's something when Marvin calls me a student. I appreciate that because I've gone from the student to the program coordinator here at Dad's, come a long ways, and now I get to facilitate a parenting class that I graduated from when I was that student. Now I get to speak to students and reach into their lives, and actually we're just they're fathers. We're, we're fathers that are seeking a better way. How do we, how do we understand our roles as fathers and our essential roles and how important we are to our fathers and our children? So it's uh, it's really amazing. I feel as though I've really come a long ways from the day I reconnected with Marvin, and I was so determined to turn my life around, coming from a life of crime, drug addiction, incarceration. So when I saw Marvin at uh, Bishop Lewis work release, I told him, I said, I don't know what you guys are doing. I feel real good energy about you, and I'd love to be a part of what it is you're doing. So the day that I was released, I jumped in the cab with all my belongings and came straight to Dad's. It was my first stop. I, I refused to make any detours, old girlfriends, drug house, friends, relatives, anyone. I just I was determined to connect with Marvin and Jeanette because I just felt good energy of the work they were doing. I wanted to be a part of it. And I got to tell you, nobody's ever left. Uh, prison and came straight to dad's. He was the first one to do that. <laughs> and and uh, I haven't looked back. It's been it's been some bumpy road, you know, somewhat some highs and lows. But I haven't gone back to prison. And I, and that that was my key is is to do whatever I had to do with lifestyle change to keep me from ever going back to prison. Amen. And and I'm I'm on that road. I it just it's a real good feeling now. How long has that been, Greg? That's been twelve. It's been uh, eleven years. Eleven years. Yeah, wow. that was 2012. Wow. So here we are. The wait time is flying. We're in 2023. Um, 
to go back inside those same institutions that I was once in as a prisoner and be able to speak into the lives of men is, is it's rewarding and, and it makes it worthwhile. I want you to tell them the story about, um, you know, uh, you needed a job, so we kind of helped you get a job. Yeah. And on your way to work one morning. Right, right. So, yeah, that stands out to me because I, I'll never forget it. And I was in a position where, for those of you that may not know, when you're in work release, you have 60, at this particular time, you have 60 days to find a job. And I was, uh, I have culinary background. I was determined to stay in the culinary field, although I was getting a lot of no's, a lot of doors closed in my face. And I was down to 48 days and it was getting close. And then I actually reached out to Marvin and said, do you know anybody that may uh, hire me in that field? And he introduced me to a gentleman, Jim Lustig, who had upper crust catering. And I went out to the job and they told me, well, right now all we have for you is uh, dishwashing. We don't have any other positions available. All our positions are filled. I said, let me do that. So for eight months, I washed dishes, caught the bus and washed dishes. And I, I, very humbling, but I knew it would be some humble beginnings. I had to start over from scratch. And I remember going to work one day, and I'm drive, I'm on the bus, and I'm catching the bus to work. And I drive, we, I drive, we, the bus driver goes right by the King County Jail, and this prison bus comes out from underneath the building at the jailhouse and stop traffic for everybody the officers in the middle of the street with shotguns making sure the prison bus gets on its way to the highway and I thought to myself I'm sitting there on the back of that bus and I looked at that prison bus on its way to prison and I said thank God that I'm on this bus the city bus on my way to work opposed to being on that prison bus on back to prison so that was that was almost one of the turning points that said I'm, I'm better off on this bus right here doing the right thing than on my way to prison so that I, I couldn't wait to tell Marvin about that story <laughs> because it, it, it had an impact on me and it helped me understand how important it is to just do the right thing under whatever the circumstances are and it was very humbling but and then and then on the way though I so I had I had been um I had lost my driver's license fines penalties so I was working and saving money, and I ended up saving enough money to buy a car, but I couldn't drive the car because I didn't have a license, and I was determined to do the right thing. I'm not getting behind the wheel of that car until I have my license. So I got a chance to keep working, paying my fines, paying my fines, and the gentleman that I work for is a car collector. He has 14 exotic, unique vehicles, vintage vehicles, and so one day when I was going to finally get my driver's license, he shows up at work and he's driving a 63 convertible Cadillac. And I said, oh, man, beautiful car. He says, yeah, you're getting your license today, aren't you? Yes. So we drive out to the DMV. I pay my final ticket. I take the test and I pass. And on the way out of the DMV, he turns to me and he says, hey, Gregory. And I look and he throws me the keys to the car. He said, this is what I've been trying to stick with. I've been wanting you to understand that all these uh, uh, opportunities are available for you when you do the right thing. Next thing you know, I'm behind the wheel. We put the top down and we're driving and I'm, <laughs> I'm loving life. And it just was another example of doing the right thing and uh, 
a lot of these opportunities come your way. And I thank God. I, I don't know how I even start speaking without giving God the praise that he honestly deserves because he's, he's the head of my life. And that's how I've been able to turn my life around, leaning into God in some troubled times. You know, Gregory, it, it, um, you're giving your story and it's never too old for me. Uh, even the aspect of how this work led you back to prison only this time you weren't incarcerated in prison, but you were going back to prison and teaching classes on fatherhood. Mm. Now, we're going to get to the fact uh, um, to talk about your children, but let's let's explore what that felt like for you to go back into prison and teach the classes that we had trained you in. We had mm-hmm. given you some training and said, if this is truly the life work you want to do, then there's some trainings that we want you to take. Uh, you've even jumped on a plane with me and, and went and did some um, some national training mm-hmm. and stuff that got you prepared to be able to go. But talk about your experience in going back into prison where you almost lost your life. Yes, and that that was a that had a real strong impact as far as me realizing that I was doing the right thing. I remember there were times where I, you know, and then there's times where that were prison. You don't get to just go in and do anything that you want. And we were able to walk in there, and I was explaining a little earlier how the treatment is just different. They when you're when you're a, an inmate, an inmate at the prison, you get talked to very disrespectful a lot of times and going through that front door instead of the back door it was just it was a miracle to be able to give them my id and they talk to me and say yes sir mr adams right this way uh, your classes are this direction and we go through the doors and hearing the doors opening closing and slamming behind us it just brought back memories but i'm here on a whole nother for a whole nother purpose now and I remember walking through the prison, the same prison that I was an inmate, walking through there, and uh, we were on our way to the classrooms, which are out by the chapel, and we walked by the big yard where, where I was, when I was an inmate there, there was a prison riot where I think four people lost their lives. The officers are up in the gun tower shooting down into the yard, breaking up fights. Everybody's fighting, stabbing. And I was able to live through that, and it was a very, very scary experience, and I able to live through that. And to go back into that same facility and walk by the same spot where I got stabbed, I was able to show that. I pointed it out to Marvin and says, man, that's where I almost lost my life, right there, where I got stabbed. And I walked right past that way, right past that same spot and on our way back to the classrooms where we could speak into the lives of these men and help them understand their roles as father and how important it is to be. And I was able to tell my story that I was able to come out of here and do the right thing. And I'm pretty sure you could do the same if you just follow. Stick around and just understand that your children are more important than anything else. And I know when guys get locked up, they come to that conclusion that nothing's more important than the the love that they have for their children and missing their children. And I think, Gregory, that's the part that uh, dads – has been successful at is giving men, particularly men who are coming off of drugs and alcohol, coming off off of incarceration, coming out of prison, just, you know, with a whole different mindset, is that I've been of this mindset 
that to keep a man from re, re, recidivism is you point them to their children and their families, right? Mm-hmm. And what you don't want to do is create an opportunity for your child to follow in those footsteps that you did from the prior life. But in order to do that, you have to be involved in their life, mm-hmm. right? You got to be able to set standards and boundaries. But I, I got to tell you, man, before I started having children, I didn't have no boundaries set. I didn't, wasn't nobody mm-hmm. going to set any boundaries for me. You know what I mean? And I'm sure you you felt the same way. Well, I'm going to do what I want to do, right? Um, but, and, and, and we knew that what we were doing, I knew what I was doing was wrong, mm-hmm. right? Sure. But I... I I didn't have nobody to tell me what I was doing was wrong. I didn't need anybody to tell me. I was man enough to tell myself, but I just chose not to tell myself. Mm -hmm. But then I started having children, and then I realized that, wait a minute. So I want to, this is what I want to, I have eight children, man. I want each one of these or one of these to follow in my footsteps. No, I don't. So I had to rethink that whole um, mindset. And so I felt like, well, wait a minute. I'm not the only one. We have a community of folks who are going in and out of prison, and, and how do we connect with them? No, I didn't really see anybody reaching out to them. That's why you saw me in the halfway house. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anybody trying to uh, help these men find themselves before they touch back down. What 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 information could we give them? And I remember the journey that I had to travel in order to reconnect with my children, to help put them their feet up on the path of righteousness, which is, to me, just doing the right thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just doing the right thing. And, and and they looked up to me. It's one thing about your children. Your children will look up to you, be it right or wrong, right? Mm-hmm. You have the power then to be able to, to curb them or direct them or guide them. And I saw that, and I thought, well, wait a minute. If it worked for me, it'll work for the next guy, right? And that's what I saw. That's what I saw uh, in you, an opportunity to do that. How many children do you have, Greg? I have five. Five, four daughters and one son. And our relationship was really broken at my fault. And then if I could, I just want to start. When I grew I grew up without a father, in the household and things really I have two older brothers at the time two older brothers and I have a family of 13 my first cousins my mom's sister had 13 kids and we lived in a, a government housing projects in San Francisco and we lived together in the same building they were on one side we were on the other side we had this one building those were the male influences that I had in my life and those guys were kind of there was no father figure I mean, there were my older cousins were the men that I looked up to. They had various lifestyles. They weren't living on the right side of the law. And I took on some of those bad habits and I didn't have the leadership that I needed. And that's something that we're able to share with these men, how important their roles are, because and then I tell them and show them the example, the example of what happened to me without having a father around and how the child is susceptible to a lot of uh, criminal activity, teenage pregnancies, drug addiction. Those things take place when the father's not there for guidance, and it happened to me. I thank God I was able to come out of it. I lived to tell about it. 
And it was just pointed out to me, I talked to one of my cousins in San Francisco recently, and she made it clear that out of all the cousins that we've had, it was nine boys all together. There's only two of us left. I just lost my other, my older brother a week ago, who was two years older than me. And I'm one of the last male figures that are standing in our family, and I have to stand up and be an example. So I see a lot of the how important it is that I make some of the right choices. I'm reconnecting and rebuilding, reestablishing my relationship with my children now. And they just have just taken a step back to see if dad's going to fall back in some of those same habits. And they see here it is almost 12 years later that I'm on the right track. I'm, I'm not involved in none of the lifestyle things that got me in trouble. And just getting up, going to work with structure, stability, just trying to lead by example for my children. You know, it was, um, I had the pleasure of, so I, I feel like we've been very close. And one of the things, one of, one of the priorities for me when it came to you in your life was, um, if you walk into Gregory's office, he has pictures of his, his children and grandchildren all over his office. And one of the things that was, I hope you don't mind me speaking it, but one of the things that I thought was, um, that needed to happen was, it was hard for me to see how, how your children understood how much you loved them. Mm. And one of the ways that I wanted to, them to see how much you loved them was I needed them to come to your office, come mm-hmm. to this office and see your office, right? Because you got mm-hmm. photos of mm-hmm. your bride yes. and all all, all all over the place, your children everywhere. And uh, Gregory has some beautiful daughters and granddaughters and, and grandsons. And, and so um, so I, I just, as his boss, I just needled him <laughs> forever. Mm-hmm. Bring your daughters here. Bring your daughters. Allow your daughters to come see. And he he's been working on this situation. He said, "Marvin, mm-hmm. I'm working. I'm working on it." Yeah. Well, one day his daughter came to uh, take him to lunch. Yeah. And uh, he called me, and I was running late that day. He said, "Man, my daughter's here." I said, "Okay, man, I'm on my way. I'm gonna. I'll be right there. Don't don't do." And uh, so they went to lunch, and it came back, and um. It was a joy for me to see uh, Gregory in his office with his daughter, and we were start to have conversation. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him about uh, so when you're in the streets, um, like we were uh, years ago, um, um, you have a nickname, and so my nickname in the streets was Sporty, <laughs> and Gregory's nickname in the streets was Silk. Well, yeah. we both have daughters. Uh, um, my second to the youngest daughter is Marvette. She just turned 26 years old. And how old is your daughter, man? She's 30, 37, 38. 30, and so we were we were having conversation, and I was saying to her, you know, I got a daughter. She thinks I don't know it, but she calls herself sporty when I'm not around or something. And, and Gregory's daughter said, yep. And I called myself Silk, and and Gregory was like, "Man, Marvin, I didn't have no idea that she called yeah. herself." And so, what what am I saying here? I'm saying that the the appreciation of 
these our children and men's children they take on some likeness of their dad why because they they have ownership in that you know what i mean and for gregory i watched him for years he would be in and out of prison and he would um come home and he would reward his kids for not being there and and so as his life start, style started changing, as his life started changing, he would say, man, I can't reward them like I used to. And I think that because of that, I don't have the relationship with them that I used to have. And um, I watched him. I watched him struggle with that. But I also watched him say, I'm not going to go back to that lifestyle. I'm just going to have to just be what I can, be present with them as I can. And he was. He'd go and... He shared stories with me about him being at his grandson's games and uh, tournaments and with his children and stuff. And I I love seeing that aspect in fathers because they have no idea how much credibility that gives them. And the credibility from that usually pours over into their grandchildren, right? And so uh, I watched Gregory do that for years, and, and he would sometime be befuddled by the fact that he he used to reward his kids and now he doesn't reward them and is that is that what kind of impact is that having on them and i think the day his daughter showed up in his office and saw what his lifestyle changed from and to i think i think i i think what i saw then greg is you finally got it mm. you finally got rewarded for what you didn't think you were getting rewarded for like changing your lifestyle. And Marvin, I I can't thank you enough. I Marvin was really I won't say he was riding me, but he was helping me understand the importance of getting my daughter here. And I I just I just said, "Yeah, yeah, I get it. I can't make her come, but I can plant the seed." And I did that. And for the uh, it took a maybe a month or so. I kept saying, "Daughter, you ought to come by, spend some time with me. Let's go to lunch someday. Come by the office." And I kept saying it and say, and out of the clear blue, she called and said, "Dad, you want to go to lunch?" And I was shocked. And I said, "Absolutely." She says, "Okay, I'll come get you tomorrow at lunchtime." And it was just blue. And then all the uh, persistence that Marvin, you know, he insisted get her here, and then he had he had a vision that I didn't see. I just realized that he had a he was on point and what the purpose of it was was to just help her understand this is my life now. I I'm sorry I can't give you a lot of gifts and presents that I once did because that's a different I live a different lifestyle and I understand the presence of me being there in her life is way more important than the presence that I was able to give them on the move. I wasn't a responsible father. I thought if I give them money and gifts and keep going they wanted to spend time with me. And I, I help fathers understand the importance of that now just by using some of my own life's experiences yes, and learning yes. learning from my mistakes. And if, if I can make any good of it, let me speak into the lives of these men that come walking through these doors every day. I can identify with their story. They, we connect in a lot of ways. And when Marvin spoke of the grandchildren as well, my daughter, or my, forgive me, my granddaughter is a cheerleader for Garfield High School that I went to school, where I went to school, and it's just to see her in purple and white dancing at the halftime of the game, I was just the most proudest. And then she, she had a senior night where she called, she had all her family come down on the court 
while she received gifts and flowers. And it was one of the most proudest moments that I've had in a long, mm. long time mm. to be with my granddaughter at half court at the basketball game, halftime, and uh, just be in that celebration with her because I wasn't there for my daughters. So mm. I said, I know God didn't give up on me. He made this opportunity for me to be, and my daughters were there for my granddaughter's celebration. So we were all there celebrating together, and wow. it was a very proud moment wow. for me and the kids. And it's I just see things coming together slowly but surely. And uh, I'm, I really believe in that they're starting to really understand that this is who their father is now. And mm. he's, he's not that guy that was in the streets mm. uh, running wild. Um, mm. This is uh, a lot more stable and secure, and they see that, and they want to be back in my life. Uh-huh. So it's coming together. I, I'm, I'll tell you, man, I'm, I'm very proud of the journey that you've taken because it wasn't an easy journey. It's not mm. an easy journey, and and um, and I believe in you. And I'm watching this thing unfold before our very eyes. And and then I'll, I'll even go a little step farther than that. The thing that I'm most proud of you is even as the experience you're having with your own children, grandchildren you are also going out of your way to make sure that the men who walk through the doors of dads really, really mm-hmm. get this. And um, one, of the, one of the particulars for me is, I, I, I find that one of the difficult things for me is to f- find somebody who um, could teach these classes, who could speak life to men, it's hard for me to see somebody who hasn't had any of these experiences step into these roles yes. to work with the client base that we work that we serve, right? Um, so I, I kind of go out of my way to look for those folks who've had the experiences that when the clients walk through the door, when these fathers walk through the door and need somebody to speak a life to them, mm-hmm. that that it's a pers- it's a like-minded person. Yes. So it's somebody who's had some of those experiences that they've had. Um, and I got to tell you, in the early stages of doing this work, it was Jeanette and myself. Mm-hmm. And people didn't think that dads had a shelf life because what's going to happen when you two guys go away, right? And I, I, I knew better than that. I knew that I wasn't the only person... Uh, you know, capable of speaking life to somebody. Why? Because I wasn't the only person on the block when mm-hmm. I stood on the dope corner. Yes. You know what I mean? I wasn't the only person when I went to jail. That was There was a number of us, right? And we all desired the same thing. One day in our life, will we be able to turn it around so that way we can have relationship with our children and with our families and all of that? So I never lost sight of that, right? And then as the work started to, um, here at Dad started to grow and materialize, then um, and then the financial picture started to open up. It gave us the ability to have a budget to be able to hire people Ooh, who thought yes. the same way, who, who could apply the same things. And I gotta tell you, um, one of the best moves I think Dad's has made is we, we got some funding from the city 
that allowed me to hire you. You right. feel what I'm saying? Yes. And you and a number of other people that we've been working with, but you was able to take the training, go through the stuff, and and make something out of it, mm-hmm. right? And today, um, the relationships you've built, I mean, I've even watched you go back to school and take some training, and all of those things, you you didn't never feel like you were too big to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, you're, you, you, you didn't, you put Gregory second. You yes. know what I'm saying? You put the work to help to turn the community around, help to take fathers to the next level you were willing to do whatever it is you needed to do to make sure that happened and i i'm i'm indebted to you forever because we both are fighting for the same cause man Mm -hmm. to empower fathers to be um historic in their children's lives to be their hero to be to be to be the person that god designed them to be so that um so that we could, I think the f- f- current phrase is now is we can stop that prisoner pipeline, mm-hmm. right? We can speak life. Tell, 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 about, tell about the work, one of the works that you've done when you first came on board about um, working in the high school with young kids to uh, help them from being derailed like we were. Yeah, so there was, uh, we... When I came on board to dance, there was a a program in place called Connie's Urban Brothers. Cubs was the was the name that they used. And they were going into high school, speaking into the lives of these men. It was a it was a alternative high school where these men are these young men are at risk. At risk youth they would be uh phrased or uh, profiled as or referred to. They were they had trouble in the uh, public high school so they went to this alternative high school where they were able to it's called credit retrieval where they may have fallen behind fallen behind and they were able to catch up and get back in class and get back on track some of them had misdemeanor uh, criminal cases that they were dealing with I think and it's something I wanted to even touch on when you were talking about our classes the thing is it's tr- the key word I think is transparency and us being willing to tell our stories and talk about the mistakes we've made in order to help these young men not make some of the same mistakes it's a uh, identifying with their walk and understanding some of their struggles and being an ear to listen to they need somebody to talk to, to perfect example a lot of these young men didn't have fathers at home so they were uh, seeking that father male figure and for us to have an opportunity to go into the school and be there for these young men I think it meant a lot to them and I, it reminds me when we talk about that school when I was growing up in the Bay Area my brother was Black Panther they had a bl- uh, free breakfast program and that free breakfast program, they would take us in and feed us in the morning and send us off to school. And it was, I thought that was pretty awesome because some of the people weren't eating. Some of the students, they didn't eat in the morning. So while I'm out here doing this work at the Upper Crust Catering, our employer thought, hey, how can I help out? How can I help out? And it dawned on me that how about we feed these young students in the morning how about we put a breakfast together for them and send them to class and our our belief was and our slogan was let's not that have them hungry for food let's have them hungry for education 
so we can take the food off the off their table and that challenge away. Let's feed them first thing in the morning. So my employer at the time said he's all in. He gave me carte blanche and said, whatever you see in this kitchen, you take to that school and feed those young men and women. So then we're able to feed them. So now we're breaking bread first thing in the morning, having having a uh, breakfast together, and we're developing relationships where these young men and women, mostly the young men for the most part, felt very comfortable talking to us. It was like having a father at the breakfast table in the morning. Wow. And our graduate and our, our our relationships just grew and we're able to give these young men advice. We know we're planting seeds, telling them how to get them on track and how to stay focused. And and some of the some of them they turned out some of our guys went on to college, went on to be businessmen, and it's just so incredible to see some of the uh uh, praise reports that came back and they look for us and we see them in the community and they tell us you know i i thank you for being there you 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 had a positive impact on me when i was a teenager and that is really uh it's it's, it's really gratifying to see that work it's rewarding to see these young men whose lives we've been able to help and we've actually had some of these men come into dads who now are fathers yeah and, it- it was one of the things. Uh, let me let me make sure that uh, the audience understands. Um, so we spent ten years at that alternative high That's school. Right. We made a commitment to go in for ten years. Uh, the other thing is is um, what what was really important to us as fathers is that we knew when we were in middle school and starting high school that we didn't have what we were trying to give them, which then led us down the path that we were on. And we thought, just a few of us thought, well, wait a minute. If there would have been somebody there to stop us from going down the walkway or the route that we took, maybe we wouldn't have took it. So we literally put that responsibility up on our own. Let's be what we didn't have to these young, young guys and figure out if this makes a difference. And like Gregory said, we started seeing that it was making a difference. Even today, we got guys. Now, we didn't have have a down pat by a long shot. And we were just creating an opportunity to throw our own selves on the knives because um, we knew for a fact had somebody threw their selves on the knives for us. Now, we had moms... We had. I grew up in the foster care system, so I had a number of people trying to speak life to me, and and a lot of it stuck. But it didn't stop me from rolling all the way off the table, and nor did it stop Gregory. And we knew, we knew where where that went wrong, and so that's what we were trying to do is fill the void of making sure that we did. And a lot of these kids were really tough, um, but we knew that they knew we loved them. And what we realized was that that was the keys right there, just showing the love that we could show to them. And one of the things I remember, we we let them, they assured us and told us, we don't care how much you know until we know how much you care. And they wanted to know that we cared enough about them to be there every, in the mornings with breakfast. But I gotta tell this story so, when I was applying for the position and saying I need, I'd love to speak into the lives of these young men, the principal called me in. Now this principal is four foot nine, 
cannonball. She does not play around. She has the loudest voice, carries the biggest stick, and she knows every. She's at the door greeting everyone that comes into her building. She knows who's there, and she talks to every single person in her building. Incredible woman. So she Incredible. asked me. She said, well, you know, I need to do a background check on you before I allow you in this building. These are my babies, and there's no way I'm just letting anybody in here. So she did a background check and went to the Washington State Patrol and came back and called me to her office for a meeting. And she had my my criminal record with her, and she's holding it like this. and dropped it, it, it was four inches thick. <laughs> it was four inches she thick. She dropped it on the table. Bam. She said, what can I do with that? And I said, Miss Moore, that is the reason I am asking that you allow me to come into your school so I can help these young men never get one of these. And I think I can have an impact. She says, I tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give you a two-week period, a trial period, and we'll see. And I end up, I was there eight years. Yeah. Eight years later, yeah. until COVID hit, we were there speaking into the lives of those men. Yeah. And, yeah. and like I said, we still see these men in our community, and uh, they let us know that we made an impact, and they, we still check in. Some of our guys have went off to serve our country that we still stay in touch with that are in our communities, and we see them, and it's just a beautiful uh, relationship that we built in that school. So, so Gregory, let's, let's do this. We mm -hmm. have a few minutes left. Mm -hmm. um, why, don't, why don't we talk about some of the impact uh, that's taking place in the classes that you're teaching now. Talk about um, what you're seeing. Uh, for example, now we have fathers bringing their children to the classes now, right? right? right. Uh, and 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 we weren't we weren't sure how that was gonna um, play out. Having the children in the class was it gonna be disrupt the classes and stuff? And um, and you know, as you and I talked, I said, well, listen, this father is having this same experience at home with his kids, right? Right. So so how are they navigating those water, waters at home with the kids constantly being there? And I felt like, let's give it a shot. Let's see how this works. So talk about that. Okay. And, and so I came into dads when I got on board these guys helped me understand that there was some money available through the county, but there was some training that needed to take place. I couldn't just walk in and just be a, a facilitator. So I did a nine-month training of implementing some of the uh, uh, tools that we had. Yeah, some of the tools, uh, uh, retalk, understanding racial equity, theory of change, implementations, programs, and how to get all this together. And I was able, that's where I got the uh, program coordinator position and put this class kind of on his feet. We, dad's already had the classes, but just implementing it and doing it in structure is what I learned through the training. So that was four years ago. Now we're doing these classes and we've had uh, at least 100 men graduate our classes since we initiated this class, this uh, Becoming Dads, where Marvin uh, we, they use Marvin's uh, personal book as a curriculum and put the, develop their curriculum to help understand. And, and that's what we uh, facilitate from, and we tell our personal stories. So now we have classes. We just ended. We had a class last night. We're on the 12th week of a 13-week course, wrapping it up. But these men are now bringing their children to class. 
and they're running around and we're, we're learning to deal with the distractions but the reward of these men and these other men seeing getting this information and it's a real life uh, scenario where you have a, child, a father working with his child and these fathers are seeing it that are in court going for uh, attempting for custody yeah. to have their children in their lives and it's motivating for them to see these other fathers who are actually have their children with them. So you it, know what, Greg, what was motivating to me yes. is watching um, a father who's in the class who doesn't have his child sitting next to a father who has his child and his child is crying and to watch these men cater to the men yes. who have their child. You know, yeah. I, I seen a guy go get a teddy bear so that yeah, the yeah. child, that to me oh, was man. community taking place. You, you see what I'm saying? Yes. So, so I, I think, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean but, to. but yeah, no, you're right on point. And it is so, it is so rewarding to see these fathers connecting. And then uh, when class starts the first week, they don't know each other. Everything's kind of, everybody's in their own little world. But like last night, all the fellas, they know each other. They have each other's phone numbers. They're friends now. They develop relationships. They, they're meeting to go to Chuck E. Cheese for birthday parties, doing the things that fathers should be doing. And their interaction with their children is powerful. We just have, we're just here to facilitate it and put, they're, they're doing the work. We're just giving them the information and the tools they need to be a, a more productive, engaged father. And we're hoping that we can have an impact as far as them moving forward. So, yeah. And then so what we've decided to do is because a lot of times these fathers aren't ready to end class. They say, oh, no, class is over only one week. So we created a support group where these fathers can do a follow up. So we're in the process of watching that. As a matter of fact, we have some men coming in tonight on Thursday nights. And uh, it's just good to see men wanting more of the same information that they got. They don't want it to end. So we feel like we're... we're uh, well, you know, you know what I always say. Yes. Um, they say, what do you do with dads? And our motto here is we listen, That's right. right? We just listen. We let them talk and we listen. Because so many times men say, well, man... Wherever I go, nobody hears me. Mm-hmm. Nobody hears my voice. I can't, I'll be talking and nobody pays any attention to me. And so what we do is we assure them, we reassure them that at dads we yes. listen. And and if you need our advice, we'll be more than willing to to share that with you. Um, and, 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 and I got to tell you, you know, after 20 plus years, 25 years of doing this work, um, I don't see an end in sight. Do you? No. Men are coming through the door. I had a great conversation with a gentleman this morning. He had to rush off to work, but he said, I just wanted to come and meet you in person. Thank you for everything you've done for me so far, and I'll, I'll keep you posted. I gave him some marching orders. I told him I couldn't work with him until I had a, a case number. I said, you get me that case number and we'll move forward. He says, I'm going to work on it right now. I'm go- so he's just, and I introduced him to our class. He's interested in our class. So no, I don't see a, uh, anything stopping anytime soon. Right, right, right. Daily. Right, right. So I want to just uh, thank you, Gregory, for yes. spending uh, this time with My me, pleasure. sharing it from the inside out, showing that not only do you do this work, but um, you are a part of the work to be done. Yes. Right? You know what I mean? Uh, and 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 I've watched you grow. I watched you come alongside. Uh, you and Larry both work 
in this particular vineyard. And yes. you guys are doing some great work over the last uh, almost five years mm-hmm. now. And uh, um, I, I, I tell you, um, we have a big graduation uh, taking place in July. And June. I, oh, yeah, yeah, July. You're right. Ju- yeah. July 8th is yeah. our graduation. I'm, I'm excited to see that. We have audience come in. We've created a venue, a uh, huge historical venue here in Seattle where the graduation will take place. I don't know. How many guys do we got graduating? We got 25 gra- guys graduating. graduating yeah. Year. And so um, um, it, it's just a, a, a pleasure being able to have like-minded folks yes. like yourself working alongside doing this work. And um, again, um, I always say that a father's job is to prepare his children for a future that he will never see. And I think we're off to a pretty good start. So listen, I want to just thank my audience for tuning in today. Uh, I want to make sure that um, you know that we have uh, another episode. Look forward to speaking to you then uh, again our uh, podcast is called color him dads uh, from divine alternative for dad services here in seattle washington and i i hope if you really like uh what you've heard just um go to our website about dads.org uh, again that's www.aboutdads.org and then look us up on Facebook. Uh, you should find us there at Dads. Again, uh, I want to thank you for being here with us today uh, and look forward to our next episode. Again, thank you. Thank Good you, everyone. The audience, very, very appreciative. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Color Him Dads. We hope today's episode has helped with your own struggles. Be sure to check back next week for another new episode with Marvin and Jeanette. Until then, have a blessed week.